1: It was a little after midnight on January 27, 1910, but the Louvre Museum in Paris was buzzing with activity. While the rest of the city wallowed in darkness, the museum on the banks of the River Seine was awash with light.
0: The flickering flames of candles and brazers illuminated the glistening brows of dozens of emergency workers. The sweat mixed with rain as they heaved huge iron shovels of sand into burlap sacks. The downpour threatened to extinguish the light, but the workers were wholly focused on their mission to save the museum.
1: The rushing water of the swollen river drowned out the crunching sand as the men piled the sacks to form a wall along the Seine. But the water was still rising. They weren't moving fast enough.
0: The air was freezing. The cold permeated their layers of wool clothing as they rushed to save the priceless artwork stored beneath them.
1: Suddenly, a thunderous roar erupted a few yards down the quays as part of a stone staircase collapsed into the raging river.
0: Those stairs were normally 20 feet above the waterline. Now, they were underwater, and the river was still rising.
1: If the sandbags didn't hold, The Louvre's entire collection could be destroyed. Welcome to Natural Disasters, a ParCast original. I'm your host, Kate.
0: And I'm Tim. Every Thursday, we'll explore the moments in history when the natural world turned deadly. You can find all episodes of Natural Disasters and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Natural Disasters for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Natural Disasters in the search bar.
1: At ParCast, we are grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network.
0: And if you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help.
1: This is our final episode on the 1910 Paris Flood, a fatal deluge that covered France's capital city for nearly two months. Last week, we heard about the record rainfall over France that led to flash floods and disastrous landslides. We also followed the rising waters through the sewers and train tunnels beneath Paris.
0: This week, we'll follow the heroic Paris police as they rescue citizens in drowned neighborhoods. We'll also explore the aftermath and extensive cleanup, as well as how the terrible flood in 1910 affected future disaster responses worldwide.
1: By the final week of January 1910, northern France had been experiencing unusually high rainfall for months. The ceaseless rain had saturated the ground until, like a sponge, it could hold no more. The runoff had gone into the River Seine and flooded much of the region around Paris on January 22nd.
0: While the low-lying outer suburbs had been inundated by the river washing over its banks, Paris had high stone walls along the river. They believed they were safe. But over the next week, the city was drowned from below.
1: The groundwater fed by the swollen river had permeated the sewers, subway tunnels beneath the city filled until they were bursting. The water pushed up into the streets where it mixed with more rain to form a knee-deep sheet of dirty yellow water across the city.
0: It was still raining in the evening of Wednesday, January 26th. Guillaume Apollinaire, a 29-year-old Parisian poet, slogged through knee-deep freezing water to reach the front steps of the church.
1: He was standing in front of Saint-Sulpice, the second largest cathedral in Paris. The floodwaters had already reached the top step.
0: Guillaume saw a woman sobbing in the doorway, lamenting the loss of her home. As his eyes adjusted to the dark interior of the cathedral, He was shocked to see hundreds of people sleeping on improvised mattresses, burlap sacks, and even on the cold stone floor.
1: Then the smell hit him with full force. The cathedral stank like a cesspool. He climbed to the second floor to escape the stench.
0: But it was even worse there. He discovered dozens of families trying to sleep, clenching their fists in the cold and huddling together to keep warm.
1: Everyone was damp from their journey to the cathedral. Then Guillaume discovered the source of the smell, the poor, shivering children.
0: They were covered in raw sewage. The contaminated water had soaked into their clothes. Tiny slivers of human excrement and rotting garbage clung to the frozen wool.
1: These were the city's poorest inhabitants, people who had lived in basements, first floor apartments, or even on the street. Now they had lost their homes and possessions. But at least people could get out of harm's way. The city itself was still at risk. Some of the most famous landmarks in Paris were in danger of being swept away.
0: The flood was exacerbated by a huge glut of debris that was choking the Seine. The suburban floods of the previous days had washed huge waves of wine casks, trees and branches, and entire pieces of homes down the river.
1: Now, that debris was being caught underneath the bridges, forming chunky dams that forced the water level even higher. Rumors spread that the military was going to dynamite the bridges to allow the river to flow. But this was only a rumor. The soldiers and police were occupied elsewhere. They were focused on protecting the Louvre.
0: The work to save the Louvre Museum continued throughout the day and into the late night on the 27th. The sandbag barriers were now over 10 feet high on the top of the stone quays that lined the river.
1: The workers had resorted to using old cobblestones and cement to reinforce their flood wall. They watched with trepidation as the current shoved up against the ad-hoc dike, bowing the wall inward on its foundations.
0: But the barrier held. By dawn on the 28th, the museum and artwork were safe.
1: But a new crisis struck at 8 a.m. that morning.
0: The Boussicot was one of Paris's most modern hospitals. The medical center was less than 15 years old, and it was built in one of the busiest districts in the city. But now that neighborhood was under two feet of contaminated water.
1: Several hundred patients had been trapped in the hospital for over 48 hours, and now the muddy water was lapping at the edges of their mattresses. Sewer water backed up into the hospital bathrooms and mixed with the flood water, sending excrement floating through the hallways. There was no longer any sterile space in the hospital. Bedridden patients were at risk of drowning in their own urine and feces.
0: The telephones no longer worked at the hospital, so the director sent one of the last remaining ambulances to get a message to Louis Lepine, the prefect of police.
1: Pine, who was the police commissioner, fire chief, and mayor all in one, had been personally overseeing rescue operations all around the city. The message reached him early that morning as he moved by boat between swamped buildings.
0: By 8.30 a.m., Lepine arrived with a complement of firefighters and police. He was shocked to find waist-deep water sloshing at the hospital's front entrance. Lepine and his crew immediately went to work building a wooden walkway called a passerelle from a side entrance where the water was more shallow.
1: He put out an emergency call for more horses and carts to evacuate the patients. The freezing water continued to rise, splashing over the backs and chests of horses as they pulled their carts up to the hospital door.
0: Police officers helped doctors and nurses wrap up bedridden patients with blankets and put them on stretchers. Then, with a man on each end, they carefully traversed the passerelle across the murky water and slid the stretcher onto a cart. Sometimes, a dozen patients were crammed in each cart.
1: The cold, terrified horses were becoming difficult to control. Suddenly, one of them reared up and tossed one of the cart drivers into a stone wall. He was knocked unconscious into the dirty water.
0: One of the police officers pulled the man to safety. After a few minutes of rest, the driver went back to work. There was no time to waste.
1: Lepine sent police out on bicycles to recruit more help. When a journalist from the New York Times arrived to report on the evacuation, he wrote, on the threshold of the entrance of the hospital stood the calm, always efficient, and sympathetic prefect, Monsieur Lepine giving his orders in a voice that sometimes trembled with pity.
0: By late afternoon on January 28th, almost 2,000 patients had been relocated to other hospitals around Paris. The staff and police were exhausted. One nurse realized she had been awake for 60 hours straight. Others were finishing 36-hour shifts by the time the sun set.
1: But there was no time to rest. That same afternoon, the Seine crested at its highest level since the flood started. The two-story Zouave statue's shoulders were fully submerged. Only the head remained dry and visible from the bridge
0: above. The Seine had risen over 20 feet. It was at the highest level in recorded history. Walls all along the river collapsed under the weight of the current. Water pushed into every metro train tunnel and sewer line, carrying the flood to every edge of the city.
1: All of the electrical plants were offline, plunging the city into darkness. Most streets were under nearly three feet of yellow, disgusting water. There was no way to tell how many Parisians were sick or dying throughout the flooded metropolis.
0: Up next, we'll hear about the tragic discoveries found as the floodwaters begin to recede. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices Now, back to the story.
1: The Seine was not coming over the Quays on Friday, January 28th, but the water was finding other routes into the streets of Paris. The rain continued to fall, and there was growing frustration among the emergency workers who had spent the last two days in a nonstop rush of sandbagging. They felt like they were fighting a battle they couldn't win.
0: One of the workers filed a report that afternoon which said his team had dammed the Seine non-stop, but the park was flooded by water coming from the avenue. Our efforts were in vain.
1: With the river at the highest level ever seen, more and more water was pushed through the ground into the cavernous open spaces of the subway and sewers. Sinkholes were opening in the middle of streets Anyone daring enough to walk through the water was in grave danger of falling through the ground.
0: Near the Porte de la Gare, a dock worker and a woman tried to cross a street where the muddy water was more shallow, only knee deep. As they were crossing, the woman slipped and disappeared completely beneath the water.
1: The dock worker grabbed onto the nearby branch to keep himself upright. He reached desperately under the water to find the woman but she had been sucked under the street and drowned in the sewer.
0: The police continued to take boats out to rescue trapped Parisians from multi-story buildings. One of these officers, 22-year-old Corporal Eugène Albert-Tripier had already been on several successful rescue missions. He hopped aboard a small boat with three others near the Eiffel Tower, ready to go back out for the afternoon.
1: As the small craft floated down Rue Foucault, a street that ran to the Seine across from the tower, a sudden current caught the boat. The water pushed it over one of the quays before the men could jump out. Now the rescuers themselves were drowning in the churning froth of the main river channel.
0: Two of the men were immediately thrown into the water, but Corporal Trippier and another man clung to the inside of the boat with all their strength. The two men in the water managed to grab onto floating debris and keep their heads above water.
1: Trippier saw a chance to save his compatriots. In one swift move, he stood up in the boat and dived into the water. He swam towards them, fighting the current with powerful strokes.
0: But the Seine was stronger. The surging river tossed his body downstream while the other three men looked on in horror. After the three survivors were rescued, the story of brave Corporal Tripier's death spread across the city.
1: Louis Lepine issued a commendation and said that if Tripier's body were recovered, the city would pay for a hero's funeral.
0: Meanwhile, Lepine had another problem. The city was running out of food. The flood had destroyed hundreds of storehouses, Rotting food was floating in every avenue of the city, but the citizens had little to eat. He hurried to distribute deliveries of bread and produce from other cities as the sun set.
1: Across Paris, displaced citizens huddled together against the cold in emergency shelters, the few buildings that were still somewhat dry.
0: Many hadn't eaten that day, and they didn't know if they would have food in the morning either. They braced themselves for a long dark night without electricity or clean water.
1: But in the darkness, they heard a miracle. The rain finally stopped.
0: The sun rose on Saturday, January 29th to reveal a blue sky. The sunshine glinted off the watery streets of Paris as the huddled population came outside. It was the first clear sky they'd seen in a week.
1: There was a dark, muddy line on the stone quays along the river. It was the high water mark, and seeing it proved that the water level had slightly decreased overnight. The flood was receding.
0: But the city of Paris still faced an enormous task. As people returned to their homes, they found waterlogged furniture and debris everywhere. The streets resembled a battlefield with craters of torn up cobblestones and mud.
1: Some Parisians were lucky. Their houses had been spared from the worst water damage. But even among the lucky ones, many returned to find their homes had been looted. As the water levels lowered, Thieves made their way through evacuated neighborhoods, taking whatever jewelry and valuables
0: they could carry. In the suburb of Ivry, a few miles outside of Paris, a thief was caught red-handed breaking into a home on January 30th. The townspeople chased him down and beat him while they searched his pockets for the stolen loot.
1: Suddenly, someone emerged from the angry mob with a rope fashioned into a noose. The anger and pain of the week-long flood had driven the mob into a frenzy. The crowd got the thief to his feet, dropped the noose over his neck, and dragged him towards a bridge over the
0: Seine. A moment later, the thief was dangling under the bridge, suffocating as his feet kicked and splashed in the water below. It was only the timely arrival of a policeman that saved his life. The thief was dragged back up onto the bridge and arrested.
1: Louis Lepine dealt with many situations like this over the next few days. But he had myriad other issues to address. On Monday, January 31st, Lepine's office issued an extensive list of instructions for cleaning and disinfecting homes, furniture, and possessions.
0: Lepine also ordered that no house could be officially re-inhabited without being cleaned first. He was worried about contamination and a resulting epidemic.
1: Most of the water that had inundated the city had been pushed through the sewers. The polluted water had settled for days bringing all kinds of sewage and diseases into people's homes. A member of the French Academy of Medicine, Dr. Émile Henriot, predicted an outbreak of typhoid fever.
0: However, many of Lépine's worst fears were unfounded. While the water had rushed up from the sewers, the actual pipes hadn't burst. The sewer system was still intact, even though the streets above were waterlogged and damaged. This was Paris's lucky break.
1: So much water had flooded out of the Seine and through the sewers that they had essentially been flushed clean of many contagions. While sewage had ended up in the streets, it had been vastly diluted by the sheer amount of rain and groundwater that had settled over the metropolis.
0: The water covering the city was not brimming with diseases like Lepine had feared. Not a single case of typhoid fever was reported in Paris in the aftermath of the flood. Furthermore, the death toll from the flood was much lower than expected.
1: The fire department reported that they had only recovered five dead bodies during the flood. This was in sharp contrast to the 643 who'd been rescued alive. The hard work of the emergency responders had paid off.
0: Meanwhile, Lépine ordered the dispersal of huge water pumps and generators to bring the water out of the streets and back into the river. By Tuesday, February 8th, the Seine was back to the level it had been before the flood.
1: Tuesday the 8th was also Mardi Gras, and Parisians had plenty of reasons to celebrate. Louis Lépine had only one caveat for the parties across the city. He forbade the use of confetti, lest it end up in the drains and clog the
0: sewers. While the Seine had fallen back to a manageable level, the rainy season was far from over. Another brief spate of rain hit late in the day on the 8th and continued into the night, which brought the water level back up a few feet. Parisians watched the rising river with trepidation.
1: This pattern of light flash flooding continued throughout February. The ground in the river basin was still saturated, so the river swelled with each rainfall. But the Seine never returned to the levels seen during the last week of January.
0: Though Paris's famous river had returned to its normal ebb and flow, the citizens were still struggling with the cleanup. Lépine's citywide order that homes couldn't be re-inhabited without proper cleaning was controversial. Some Parisians were outraged that the government was keeping them out of their homes. Businesses couldn't afford to stay closed any longer than necessary.
1: This order was vital for the massive cleanup effort, which was overseen by Dr. Henry Thierry, the head of technical services for the Seine. Unfortunately, there wasn't enough manpower or cleaning materials to handle the entire city at once. The operation was expected to take weeks.
0: There were three steps in Thierry's cleanup plan. The first step occurred as soon as the water receded out of a neighborhood. A horse-drawn cart with an enormous tank of disinfectant fluid would arrive, along with a team on foot. They would traverse the neighborhood and scrub the sewage and mud from the buildings.
1: The second step was addressing the medical and engineering problems discovered by the first team. Doctors, firefighters, and structural engineers were on call to respond to any emergencies, including trapped or injured citizens, collapsed walls, or rabid animals.
0: Once the emergency teams had scoured the neighborhoods, an inspector went into every building in the city to make sure it was clean and safe then, finally, inhabitants were allowed to return.
1: As more people returned to their neighborhoods, the public opinion shifted. The shock of seeing raw sewage deposited in their houses, as well as a growing awareness of the possibility of disease outbreaks, helped form a wave of support for the cleanup.
0: Eventually, Parisians were wholly in favor of disinfection, even if it meant further losses of their property. The medical journal The Lancet described the cleaning efforts in early February. Wet bedding and inferior furniture was thrown out into the street to be destroyed. What was most urgent was the destruction in the shops and restaurants of soiled articles of food.
1: Dr. Thierry claimed to have personally visited over 5,000 homes and businesses in February. He was amazed at the overwhelming support for the cleanup.
0: Even though many people were concerned about an epidemic, some bristled at the government mandated destruction of their property. When legal questions arose, it was often pressure from the neighborhood that encouraged compliance.
1: There was another added benefit to deep cleaning the entire urban center. People were clearing out basements and buildings that hadn't been touched in decades. The Lancet article illustrated the joys of repurposing old spaces. Some of this rubbish had been accumulating for more than half a century. Citizens are confessing that Paris has never been so clean before.
0: The flood had taken a terrible toll on Paris, but it had also brought together the population. People helped rescue, feed, and house their neighbors. They banded together to survive the disaster and afterwards joined together in a massive effort to clean the city.
1: The city had survived the worst flood in its history and came out sparkling.
0: But the Seine was prone to flooding, and as the memory of the deluge faded, Parisians became less and less concerned with preventative measures and grew dangerously complacent.
1: Coming up... We'll hear about how the lessons of the 1910 flood were implemented when future disasters
0: struck Paris. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy.
1: Now, back to the story.
0: By March 27th, 1910, two months after the flood of Paris, the waters had almost completely receded. The streets were repaired and green grass returned in the parks along the riverfront.
1: The 27th also happened to be the Easter holiday, and many Parisians were celebrating their survival. The citywide cleaning process was continuing unabated, and the federal government had instituted a financial assistance program for those who'd lost everything in the deluge.
0: Initial estimates said that 15,000 agricultural workers lost their jobs after the flood. Over 30,000 other workers, like boatmen and freight haulers, were unemployed that spring.
1: Out-of-work Parisians wrote the government for help, but many were disappointed by what they received. The average amount given to each business and family was likely around a 1,000 francs, worth about 4,500 U.S. dollars in modern currency.
0: This was often not enough for large families or businesses that had lost a year's worth of inventory. Over the rest of 1910, the joyful sentiments seen immediately after the flood were lost in a wave of bureaucracy and rebuilding.
1: In June of that year, the city completed its investigation of the flood. Former naval minister and engineer Alfred Picard presented a report with hundreds of supporting documents that demonstrated the city's weaknesses. He also had extensive suggestions for preventing another flood.
0: Picard praised the unity among citizens and emergency workers and warned that the city must be careful not to forget the solidarity discovered during the crisis. Unfortunately, forgetting was inevitable.
1: Many engineers disagreed with Picard's prevention plan. They didn't want to spend money on expanding the river walls when water could still rise through the sewers anyway and they didn't want to improve the sewer system without endless debates about which district needed the work first.
0: Even when the bureaucracy was efficient, many of the preventative measures took a long time to implement. Months passed with only slow improvements to the infrastructure.
1: By the time the rainy season returned, the city was still rebuilding. But Parisians themselves were ready this time. They would not be caught off guard again.
0: In November of 1910, the Seine rose as it usually did at the beginning of the winter. After the spring flood, new high water gauges had been carved into the stone quays along the river. Parisians no longer had to rely on the Zouave statue to know how high the river had reached.
1: The stone walls along the river were reinforced. New piling designs and higher spans allowed for more water to pass beneath the city's bridges. New canals and trenches were dug in the streets and parks to channel water towards the sewer system. The sewers, in turn, were expanded to allow better drainage of groundwater.
0: However, the new safeguards encouraged the people of Paris to forget the destruction. The story of human unity and engineering triumphing over nature was more appealing than the memory of disaster.
1: The river basin around Paris flooded several more times during the 20th century. Each inundation brought another investigation into the causes of floods in Paris, and the results were often similar. In terms of the Seine, there was a big discrepancy between nature's power and humanity's
0: ability to control it. In the years leading up to 1910, there was excessive deforestation upriver from Paris. Without the tree roots and soil to collect water, the rain simply flowed into the river. In years with unusually high rainfall, the river basin was more susceptible to flooding.
1: And while humanity has developed technologies for preventing and responding to catastrophes, we haven't discovered a way to stop rainfall. In fact, during the inundation in 1910, one Parisian newspaper pointed to the forests as the single best flood prevention measure we have. It said, The calamity of floods cruelly attests to the necessity of restoring the forest, the greatest regulator of the water system.
0: But at the time, there was little consensus among scientists or citizens about the reasons for the flood. Many believe the January flood was a freak event that humanity had simply failed to control.
1: In fact, Parisians rarely spoke of the 1910 flood until June 2016, when the Seine again rose to near-record levels. It had been over a hundred years since the terrible deluge in 1910, and the city had largely forgotten about it. But now the Seine once again was lapping at the chest of the Zouave statue, almost 20 feet higher than normal.
0: Suddenly, postcards and books about the 1910 flood were everywhere. The distant past became an omen of what might happen again. But this time, there were new techniques to stop it.
1: New computer technology allowed for flood simulations to be made in real time, providing warnings and information to the public. Communication had also greatly expanded from the days of telegraphs and gas lamps, and messages passed instantly from warning stations all along the river.
0: But most of all, Parisians were once again united, this time in their preparedness. There were very few deaths in the 2016 flood, and the government response was efficient and well orchestrated.
1: Part of that response was thanks to Louis Lepine's efforts over 100 years earlier. The emergency plans he developed laid the foundations for future disaster responses in Paris.
0: In the aftermath of the 1910 flood, Lépine was credited with saving the city. He was eventually awarded the Prix Audifray, a high honor dedicated to duty and self-sacrifice.
1: The new infrastructure that was built in the ruin of the flood also contributed to the city's ability to withstand future disasters. Electrical and telegraph lines were constructed out of the reach of floodwaters. Natural gas lines were rebuilt to withstand the deluge, and the sewers, streets, and railroads were all inspected and repaired to a higher quality than before.
0: Throughout the hundred years after the 1910 flood, the Seine has reached flood levels every few years. Many Parisians are once again watching the river every year to see if disaster looms.
1: The Zouave statue still stands at the Pont de la Main, though the bridge's old stones have been replaced by modern steel beams. Parisians still look to the soldier statue as a benchmark for the rising waters.
0: There's no doubt that Paris will see record rainfall and more flooding as the climate changes, but the flood of 1910 will always be the standard against which all others are measured. To this day, Parisians are wary of the powerful natural forces that put their city under water.
1: Thanks for listening to Natural Disasters. For more information on the 1910 Paris Flood, amongst the many sources we used, we found Paris Underwater by Jeffrey H. Jackson extremely helpful to our research.
0: We'll be back next Thursday with a new episode. You can find all episodes of Natural Disasters and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify.
1: Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Natural Disasters, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker.
0: To stream Natural Disasters on Spotify, just open the app and type Natural Disasters in the search bar.
1: And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time.
0: Natural Disasters was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It's executive produced by Max Cutler. Sound design by Dick Schroeder with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, Isabella Way, and Joel Stein. This episode of Natural Disasters was written by Andrew Messer with writing assistance by Kate Gallagher and stars Tim Johnson and Kate Leonard.